Our beloved chiropractic profession faces challenges like never before. These challenges come from not only outside the profession, but also from within. Hi, I'm Dr. Bobby Braille, and I've had the opportunity to see this profession as a practitioner, a teacher, an administrator, and a politician. In my over 40 years in chiropractic, I've just about seen it all. Join me on Cairo Rants for an honest and no-holds-barred discussion about all aspects of chiropractic practice, politics, education, and philosophy. We'll talk about subjects that most only want to whisper about, and we'll interview the leaders in our profession to get some straight-up answers. If you're looking for a politically correct chiropractic discussion, this is not the place. Welcome to Cairo Rants. Hi, this is Dr. Bobby Braille, and welcome to another episode of Cairo Rants. Before we get started today, I do want to announce uh, that in the, right now or in the very near future, our podcast will now also be included on Amazon Music Podcasts and on Audibles. So if you have those services, you can get our Cairo Rants and our Health Rants podcasts free on both of those services in addition to all the other ones that now carry us. So today's uh, Cairo Rants today, uh, we're going to be discussing something that is all over social media today. Um, it is the International Chiropractors Association proposed new changes. Now, I know uh, in our last podcast, we had the former president of the ICA, Dr. George Curry, on our podcast talking a little bit about it. Um, what I have since learned from that point forward is that uh, any of the board members who are active board members, whether or not they're in favor of these new things or not, are basically being uh, uh, gagged. Uh, they're under what they're being told is a fiduciary responsibility not to say anything, which to me is a lot of fiduciary. But uh, they are, in essence, being told they cannot speak against it even if they themselves are against it. Now, I'm sorry, but that just doesn't work for me. Uh, what I decided to do, though, is to give, because as we speak, my understanding is the ballots, as I'm recording this, the ballots are in the mail. So you are going to be getting a ballot if you're an ICA member. And by the way, if you are an ICA member and you do not receive a ballot within the week, call ICA, say, where's my ballot? Make sure your membership's current. And you should be getting one. I'm not sure, you know, how efficient it is, but you should be getting one if you're an ICA member and your dues are current. Now, that being said, I am not sure what goes with that ballot. I am not sure if they're sending the document that they want you to vote on to become the supreme document of ICA or not, or if they're just going to send you a, a, you know, a checklist uh, with the board saying, yeah, vote yes, this is great stuff, and here you are, vote yes or no. Uh, I will urge you to vote no, regardless of what they send you. But let me give you a little bit of a history here, because I've obviously, as being the 11th president of the ICA, have been involved in ICA politics for decades. And ICA has always operated under two documents, a constitution and a set of bylaws. Now, the Constitution of ICA, which is kind of the bedrock foundation of how ICA functions, its structure, 
that is a very difficult document to change. In the past, and, and currently still, to change that document, you had to not only have an overwhelming, I think it was two-thirds majority of the board voting to then send a, uh, a, a vote out to the membership to approve a change in the Constitution. So ultimately, the membership themselves had the ultimate say on approving any changes to the bedrock, the Constitution of the ICA. And this was good for a number of reasons. One, as administrations come and go and political whims come and go, it was difficult to change the core direction of ICA. You had to go back to the membership and get half of them in a vote to agree with the amendments you were putting forth to the Constitution. Plus, you have to have the board initiate it or a percentage of members had to initiate it from the field. So it was very difficult to change. In that being so difficult, it has had a couple of historic advantages over the years. The first one was that during the attempts at merger of the ICA or takeover, depending upon your perspective, uh, from the American Chiropractic Association trying to take over the ICA, uh, it required in that document a two-thirds vote of the membership to accomplish that. And that was near impossible. And twice in the late 80s, because it was attempted more than once, that initiative was defeated and the ICA remained intact. Uh, that despite the fact that at the time, a majority of the board voted, voted in favor of a, a merger with the ACA. The membership, in their wisdom, and a, a handful of us who were staunchly opposed to it, uh, lobbied the membership and the membership voted no. So the ICA is actually still here, coming on 95 years, because of the strength of its constitution. Now, that being said, there's also a set of bylaws. Now, the bylaws are more of the day-to-day -day functioning and the administration of the Constitution. In other words, where the Constitution doesn't have exact detail, the bylaws fills in the blank. The bylaws operate, allow a lot of operation of the association. The bylaws can be changed a lot easier. The bylaws with a 10-day notice to the board of upcoming changes and a nice debate on the board can be changed on a board level. So a lot of functionality of the ICA can be changed by changing the bylaws, but not the core direction, core uh, principles, or core democratic structure of the ICA. That is in the constitution of the ICA. And honestly, I mean, as much as it sounds cumbersome to some people, it has been a, a wonderful way to protect the core values of the ICA while allowing the ICA to make changes as necessary based upon the time. And I, in my history, have not seen any particular issue that the ICA could not react to fast enough so that, you know, we could deal with things in, in the profession and what's going on in healthcare in the world. Now, to give you an overview of the ICA structure, because that's important to understand what is taking place and how the Constitution works. The ICA basically has three bodies, three leadership bodies. The board of directors is the ultimate control of policy, of direction. They control the bylaws. They control the policy statements. 
the, uh, the board of directors is the major control. Now, there is an executive committee. And the executive committee is made up of the president, the vice president, the secretary treasurer, the immediate past president, and the chairman of the representative assembly. Okay, that's the third body. We'll talk about them in a minute. So the executive committee, all of them previously voted on the board with the exception of the chairman of the representative assembly. He had voice, he or she had voice, but no vote on the board. So the people who were on the executive committee, many of whom were also on the board, obviously, by being a past president or president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, were also members of the board, also voted on the board, but they were a separate entity. They were responsible for meeting more often, and they were responsible for carrying out the wishes of the board itself. Because the board is, was 17 members. That's a large board. Okay, there's a large diversity in there. But the executive committee was five people. So five people would basically carry out the mission, uh, the day-to-day -day operations with the president being the CEO and the staff working under him of the board's wishes through this smaller committee, the executive committee. And all the members of the executive committee, uh, other than the past president who gets the seat by virtue of being past president, were elected democratically. The president was always elected by a membership the vice president, and the secretary treasurer, all elected by the membership themselves. And we'll talk about the electoral process in a minute. Okay, The chairman of the representative assembly is on the executive committee by virtue of being the chairman and elected by the representative assembly. That is the third body of the ICA. That body is representatives based upon how many members in each state, kind of like Congress, okay, if you will, uh, where there are a certain number, like a bigger state, more ICA members, has more representative assembly. Uh, a smaller place might only have one because it doesn't meet the threshold of having more than one. The representative assembly has typically been anywhere from, you know, 50, uh, more than 50 to 100 and something representatives. And they meet once a year in person in a big gallery. The, they elect a chairman every other year and a vice chair and their own uh, parliamentarian. And their responsibility is to send resolutions and information to the board. They are also supposed to be the liaison between the members and the board, as well as the associations in their state or region and the board. The resolutions that they send to the board, the board is then required to act on them. Now, it's not required to say yes. It is required to act on them, meaning that the board could say thumbs down, thumbs up, uh, send it back and say, give us more information or, you know, whatever. And normally, if it wasn't something of a huge uh, difference between the board and the assembly, the board says yes, and that's a great idea, let's move with it. Okay, as long as it's not a big funding issue, that's a great idea, and let's move with it. The assembly also had some other important things to do. The assembly elected five members to the board of directors as board members at large. Now, what that basically means is that five people who sit on the board of directors out of the 17 at the time were members elected completely by the representative assembly. The representative assembly would nominate these people, usually from among their own representatives, or members in the field. They could basically pick anybody. And the assembly would carry on their own elections based upon their own rules and elect five people 
onto the board of directors. Now, sometimes these these elections are very cantankerous. You know, if there's different factions within an assembly of 100-plus people, there's going to be different movements to put their people on, on the board. And over the years, it's been fun and cantankerous at the same time. All right, so that's what was taking place. The Representative Assembly also had two other functions. They elected the International Regional Director. Instead of getting the membership from around the world to vote, because it was very difficult to do that over the years, although I think now with you know, online and social media and other things, you could probably move to that, and I would think that's a good thing to go to in the future. But uh, in the past, the Representative Assembly elected the International Regional Director. Okay, the Canadians, which were separate from the international, more recently anyway, the Canadians elected their own board of directors, a Canadian board of director. So you had five members elected by the representative assembly, members at large. You had an international regional director elected by the representative assembly. Again, nominate has to be from the international region. And then you had a Canadian regional director elected by the Canadians. Also on the board were four regional directors from within the United States, Northeastern, Southern, Central, and Western. And I won't go through which states are in each region because I don't remember them off the top of my head, but they are laid out in the Constitution. So each of those regions would have elections and the members would elect people to the board of directors. So You've got the representative assembly electing people. You've got the regional director. That's nine, reg that's nine board members being elected directly by either the representative assembly or who representative assembly who are elected by the membership and directly by the membership, okay, plus the president, vice president, and secretary treasurer. So, and the past president was elected by the membership. So a lot of people were elected by the membership, okay? Now, how did this take place? Well, there were two ways to get people on the ballot. The first way and the most common way and the way required by the Constitution and bylaws is the nominating committee. Now, people may say, and I know it's been said before that the new documents that are being pushed now, the, the, the governance committee is the same as the nominating committee. We'll deal with that in a minute, but no, it's not. The nominating committee in the past basically was responsible to put forth a slate of people for seats recommendation so that there was somebody to vote for. Now, and I'll tell you why this is in, was important and still is. There are times in any association when nobody wants to step up. <laughs> I mean, and, and you're not going to get the membership to rally behind, you know, and I, I'm just too busy. Somebody has to be on the ballot. So the nominating committee in their wisdom would then select a person to be put on the nominating ballot. Now, if indeed they put somebody that nobody liked, the membership could always put in petitions and nominate. You know, and there were a certain number that you had to put in depending upon how many number people were in the region. It wasn't hard to do. In fact, the number of our past presidents were elected this way. Dr. Sid Williams was elected by being put on the, on the ballot by petition, not by the nominating committee. So was Dr. Fred Barge. Okay, so a number of our past leaders were placed on the ballot by petition from the membership. It's a wonderful way. And yes, does it add to contested elections? Of course it does, because the nominating committee only puts forth one nominee for each of the open spots. That's the job. And they're supposed to pick the person they think is the most qualified. Okay, so that is how people were traditionally placed into the ballot 
and onto the leadership positions of the ICA. Now let's fast forward. Let's go to April of this year, April 7th as a matter of fact. And April 7th of this year, okay, there was a change made by the board of directors, a little change slipped into the old bylaws that probably most of the board didn't read, didn't see, didn't know about at the time, or there wasn't a whole lot of discussion. And certainly the representative assembly had no idea this was coming, and the membership were never even informed until today. They still weren't informed because none of them would have seen this. I had to dig up an old copy to find it. In Article 3 of the old bylaws, a new section one was added. The rest of the sections were bumped down because basically the bylaws look pretty much like the old bylaws. I had to go paragraph by paragraph to find any changes and there weren't many. There was a change in Article 3 that was profound. And I'm going to read Article 3, Section 1. All candidates for election or appointment to the association and governance positions of director, president, vice president, and secretary-treasurer must be voting members in good standing and must have been reviewed and recommended by the governance committee of the board of directors. Now, I'm sure there was a bit of a sell there that, well, we don't even have anything that says they're members, which is not true. It says it in other places. But that last part there, and must have been reviewed, recommended by the governance committee of the board of directors. Well, prior to that first mention on April 7th in the change the board voted on, there was no such thing as the governance committee. It didn't exist. In fact, nowhere else in the bylaws does it mention it again. The board then decided how this thing functions. But look what happens here. Instead of a nominating committee, which puts forth a slate as a recommendation, you now have to go through this committee to allow them to approve you to be run. So what was the practical implication? Well, the first thing that happens when the assembly got together and wanted to vote people onto the board, they no longer could nominate their own people. The list came from the board down. Here's 10 people, pick five. These are ones we like. Huge difference than the assembly deciding we want five of our own people or members and here's the five we think are best qualified. So a small group got to select replacements or themselves for themselves as opposed to the assembly saying we want to change or we'll keep the same people in place. You know, whole different scenario. Now those bylaws and that change was huge because the assembly couldn't stop what was then happening because at that point they didn't put, they couldn't put new people onto the board to try to stop this, to try to vote down this new change. So then came shortly after the new set of bylaws, okay? These were adopted on June 30th, 2020, and these were completely different because these looked like an entire governance document, and in fact, that's what they were intended to do. These started to lay out the changes in the association that were drastically different. The only issue was the Constitution still exists and supersedes these documents, even though there's a huge conflict between the two. That is why 
a vote is going out to the membership. If you remove the Constitution, you no longer have a conflict. The bylaws become the one and only governing document. So what has taken place in these bylaws? Well, first of all, there is no longer a president, vice president. Those seats are completely eliminated. We no longer will have a president or a vice president in the ICA. We will have a chairman. The chairman is elected by the board. The chairman can serve for three terms, then take a year off, and then serve for three more if the board decides to elect them. All positions on the board are now elected and can only, excuse me, are now only nominated by the governance committee. So every board seat can only be put forth by the governance committee, with one exception, and I'll explain that in a second. Okay? There no longer will be regional directors, meaning that each of the regions that elected one director, including Canada, including international, will no longer be there. The governance document, these new bylaws, does suggest it, it, it may select from the various regions, but there's nothing that forces them to. They can pick everybody out of one town if they felt like it. There's nothing in that it says they have to do it, and they most certainly don't have to go to the membership to do it. So, I mean, a huge difference here. The total removal of democracy from the member. The members no longer get to select either president, vice president, because those positions don't exist. They don't get to select the chairman of the board because the board does that anyway. They don't get to select board members by electing regional directors. All of that is gone. So no longer are there public elections. If, this go, if the Constitution is eliminated, if this goes through, no longer are there public elections for the election of your leadership. Now, that being said, there was one little caveat thrown in there, and I guess it was thrown in there to, uh, to appease people and make it sound like we were having some remnants of democracy. In the new bylaws, they do allow members to make recommendations of people to be nominated by the governance committee. Now, this sounds almost absurd, but let me explain how it works. I, as a member, can say, I like uh, John Smith, and I can send John Smith's name in, and if there are rules created after the fact, I might need a few more signatures, whatever, to the governance committee. The governance committee then looks and decides, do I want John Smith on the ballot or not? The governance committee can also get nominations from any member. That means all the board. So the board can send in their own nominations to the governance committee. So of the five members at large who used to be elected by the assembly, this is how it works. The, the members can send in as many nominations as they want, but they're not nominations. They're only recommendations to the governance committee. The governance committee gathers all these up, including any of them sent in by board members, and then picks up to 10 that they like and gives them to the assembly and says, from this list of 10, you pick five. So the sales job was, oh, the assembly still gets to vote for five members, you know, for the board. Yeah, but all five are out of a group of 10 that the governance committee thought were okay. And they may not be anybody that the membership liked. They might be 10 people from the board that the board liked or friends of the board. You know, in other words, it's an incestuous situation. It doesn't really change. And the assembly no longer gets to freely select people they think is best. So the membership gets cut out. The assembly gets cut out. What else happens in this document? Well, in the past, remember I said it took the membership in the Constitution, okay? It took 
a vote of the membership to change the Constitution. It took a 50% vote to make any changes to the Constitution with the expressed difference that the section of the Constitution that was talking about merger required two-thirds vote. So the Constitution itself requires a 50% vote. Any change to that one section requires two-thirds. Now, there could be a legal battle as to can you wipe out the Constitution if that two-thirds section in there without getting two-thirds. A discussion I'm sure nobody wants to go through a lot of lawyers and a lot of expense to find out. But assuming 50% the membership, that's why you're getting a ballot, has to approve the elimination of the Constitution in order for the Constitution to be eliminated. If indeed the membership does vote in that direction and the Constitution's gone, the bylaws are now entirely under the, the new bylaws are now entirely under the purview of the board of directors who is self-electing. They can change them with a 10-day notice to themselves and a simple majority vote. Now, in the bylaws, they did try to say merger is still protected. It says two-thirds have to be, uh, you know, vote a two-thirds vote of the membership has to be present in order to uh, change the constitution, in order to go for merger. Except if you go further down in the document, it says the bylaws can be changed, any part removed or whatever by a majority vote of the board. So no matter what protection they write into the new bylaws, the board can remove it in the next meeting, you know, with a 10-day notice. So in in... In some kind of a, if I were evil and wanted to destroy the ICA and I had enough votes on the board, just half, by the way, I could put a notice forth to the board that we're going to remove the section that protects the merger going to the membership and in 10 days remove the section. Then in 10 more days, I could put forth a motion to merge the association and basically in 20 days, I'd have the association killed. And if, if I was looking to do that, that's how easy it is to do. So basically, this document, what does it do? What's all the fervor that's on social media right now? These new changes, okay, basically eliminate the membership's participation in voting on leadership, as well as voting on changes in governance documents, specifically the Constitution. All right, what's the argument for this? Uh, Let's talk a little bit about, you know, and I wasn't there, so I'm I'm not giving you firsthand knowledge. I'm giving you knowledge from what people have told me. First of all, the information coming out of the board is very limited because what I have heard is that the board basically has been threatened and put under gag rules, so to speak. Uh, They are being told they have a fiduciary responsibility to support the decisions of the board. They cannot speak out against it. Meaning that even if they have a dissenting opinion, they're not allowed to express it. Now, some of them have. They've been chastised for it, yelled at on board meetings. They've been told, take their name off anything that has it on there. You know, there are plenty of board people who are against this, who may have voted for the changes because they were sold to them and they didn't really read it over in detail, which is very possible. Unfortunately, that happens on boards. But, you know, and, you know, I know people on, and by the way, I know most of the people on the board here. And I personally think they're very good people. You know, I don't think the ones that I uh, that I know and trust, I know don't have agendas here. They think this is in the best interest of the association. I think they're misguided, and I think they've been misled. And I think the real possibility exists that several people up there do have an agenda that has not come forth to the rest of the board, and by the time the rest of the board finds out, it'd be too late because they can be replaced, you know. But so let me explain a little bit about you know, how this process came about. Evidently, a while back, well, no, not a while back, as soon as the new president, Dr. Stephen Welsh, took over, 
uh, he decided he wanted to streamline the document. So whatever, they hired a consultant uh, who was the head of an association that deals with governing documents for colleges and, and, and uh, universities. Um, in fact, the name of the group ended in colleges and universities. So this individual, who was very well known in that field and, and very successful in that field and very well accomplished. I mean, he just recently retired from the head of that association. Uh, my understanding is he helped Life West and streamlined their documents, and he brings colleges and, and, and universities into the more modern way of governing themselves. And that's a, that's a good thing. I mean, you know, colleges, universities often need help in how to run their own boards and how to run their governing documents. So he was brought into the ICA. Now, uh, was he recommended by somebody on the board? Well, probably that's how they got him. But the, the, the fact is, the ICA is a different animal. Okay. Uh, the point that I make on this is that I don't know of any college, certainly not in chiropractic or any college elsewhere, where the president or the governing officers are elected by the students who are the consumers. Now, the difference is the ICA, the people who pay the money to run the ICA, are the members. They pay dues. They do have a say in the democratic process of governance and leadership in the association. And in fact, many associations run that way. Now, there are a lot that don't run that way. I don't know how they survive, but the ICA has had a long history of being democratic. Okay. When you go to a school, and, and I'm sure when this consultant, this well-respected consultant goes to a school and he reorganizes it, the students never had a vote. They still don't have a vote. So what's the big deal? The, probably the school functions better after he's done. I'm sure it does. Okay, The difference is the students didn't get to vote for the president, and they never got to vote for who was on the board of trustees of the institution as well. I mean, I, I, I can imagine most of the students at Life University, they know who their president is. They probably don't know the rest of their leadership, and they probably have no clue who's on the board of trustees. And the students that I ask, who, do you know who the chairman of your trustees are? No, I don't know. I don't even know who's on the trustees. Okay, that's fine. They don't select the school based upon the democratic ability of the school and the direction of the school, uh, you know, their ability to change the direction of the school. They select the school based upon the education, where it is, and the fact that they want a degree. Okay, that's not the case with the ICA. People don't join the ICA with a three-year timeline or a four-year timeline knowing I'm going to get a diploma at the end, I'm out of the ICA. They join it because they want ICA to represent them. Representing them means the ability to represent, meaning you have a say in who is representing you. Well, trying to fix a educational model of governance on top of a democratic model of governance, in my opinion, is total folly. And the problem is, I think that a good portion of our board members were snowed by the charisma, by the desire, by the force of those who wanted this change, and they may have had uh, some kind of, uh, you know, agenda hidden going on. I don't know that. I have no knowledge of it, but it certainly looks like it to me. But, you know, so they put a lot of work into this, and wow, look at how streamlined this is. Great, except you just kill democracy in the ICA. And I tell you what. I don't know any group that goes quietly into that good night where they want to give up democracy ready for the sake for the sake of streamlining an organization. 
you know, if you're a corporate structure, great. Streamline all you want. Make it more efficient. Make it run faster. That's wonderful. If you're a democratic organization, ooh. <laughs> you take away democracies from people, especially Americans, they kind of get upset. And that is what I'm hearing. I mean, there's a huge amount of blowback on social media like crazy. And I'm not, I, I, I'll be honest, I'm helping that along because I am totally against the loss of democracy in ICA. But what I've also heard is very disturbing. I've heard an awful lot of ICA stalwarts say to me, I don't know why I would want to keep my membership if they do this. I mean, you know, I've been a member. I have one guy say, I've been a member for 40 years. I have a number of people say, I've been lifetime members. I paid the lifetime fee, you know, a huge chunk of money so I could be in there for life. I don't know if I want to stay in the ICA now. And, you know, I can honestly tell you, and I've bled ICA for years, that thought crossed my mind. Why would I want to be a part of an organization and give them money every, every you know, three months or every year if they're not going to even listen to me anymore? Or what, can I write a letter? But I don't get to vote on leadership. I don't get to vote on direction. I don't get to participate in the democratic process. These new documents, this new bylaws are dangerous. So how do we reverse it? How do we stop this danger? Well, first of all, you're going to receive very shortly a ballot. And I don't know if the document is going to be in there. Read it over. If you have a copy of the old documents, great. I'm not sure if you'll be able to get them through the ICA or not. Uh, if you hunt around on the ICA's website, you're not going to find the old ones, that's for sure. I mean, you have to get them from somebody, you know. But my suggestion is vote no. If we keep the Constitution in force, the protection of ICA, the democratic process, that then puts these bylaws in conflict. Now, if the bylaws are in conflict, they must be changed. That means with enough pressure from the membership to the board or re-election of some of the board members and a removal of the ones who are not for this, that means these bylaws can be amended and changed fairly easily to fit the Constitution, to keep democracy. Now, in keeping democracy, you can still streamline some of the functionality of ICA. Fine, it's, we, we did that many times when I was in office. You know, anything we could do to improve how ICA functions, but throwing out democracy was not one of them. It wasn't even considered a thought. So my first admonition to everyone, make sure your dues are current, make sure you remember, vote. And vote no is my recommendation. Second, once this thing is defeated, and I'm hopeful and praying that it is, because otherwise I don't have much hope for the ICA beyond this, once it happens, once it's defeated, get involved, work the democratic process that remains to get new people placed on the leadership. All right? We're going to have to push the board to get rid of that governance committee. That's a, that's a horrific, horrific slap in the face to democracy and our members and the representative assembly. And I think that if there's enough blowback from the members, if there's a high enough vote against this thing, a number of the board, half of that board will say, ah, uh, this was not a good idea. And hopefully then a lot of the people who just go along because, okay, it sounds like a good idea, will change their mind. If not, they're going to see the numbers in the ICA dwindle. And I tell you, the numbers in the ICA aren't spectacular. They were better 
uh, under the current administration, they're not as good. And that's a, a question of leadership. You see, I think democracy is a wonderful thing. I don't think democracy is the issue here. I think democracy is something that if you are a leader, you work within the tools of democracy to make it work, to garner excitement, to get people into your association, to make it grow, to make it effective. If those things are not happening, it is not the fault of democracy. It's the fault of leadership's inability to work within democracy. And I think that's the issue right now. So I'm going to close my rant for today by strictly, and, uh, by strictly saying, save democracy in the ICA. If you're an ICA member and you get your ballot, vote no. Thank you, and I hope we have an ICA to work with and continue to fight with for the principles of chiropractic after this coming month. Thank you for listening to Cairo Rants. Thank you for listening to Cairo Rants. Subscribe for free and listen to insightful, truthful, and hard-hitting discussions with some of the biggest names in chiropractic. Cairo Rants is sponsored in part by Now You Know Online and in-office educational services. Learn how to expand your educational outreach to your patients and your community at www.nowyouknow.net. The opinions of Cairo Rants are exclusively those of Dr. Braille and do not reflect the opinions of any associations, groups, institutions, or sponsors mentioned in these podcasts. This has been Cairo Rants.